It's good, it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, again, I'm Pastor Andy, and it's good uh, to worship with you this day. Uh, we are in our series through the book of Romans, which we began kind of earlier in the summer, and we'll finish the month of July looking at a good portion of the book of Romans. And for these last handful of weeks, we will actually just be in one chapter of Romans, Romans chapter 8. Mentioned at the beginning of the service, this is one of those chapters of the Bible that, that some have said that if you could only have one chapter of the entire Bible, like if you had to get rid of the rest of the Bible and only, only keep one chapter, there are many people who would say Romans 8 would be the one that they keep. And, and I, I, I think I would probably agree with that, that if you had to put me to pick just one chapter, Romans 8, uh, there is so much in this one section of Scripture uh, it's like drinking from the fire hose of, of gospel goodness and just wave after wave of good news, of, uh, of promise, of grace, of mercy, of hope. Uh, you read through the whole chapter, and there is just so much, and it just never seems it's like, how can it get any better? And then it gets better. That's my hope over the next few weeks is that you'll see what Paul is doing and the, the promises that he reminds us of, the reality that we see about what Jesus has done for us. So, with that being said, I really want to encourage you, and you're always invited to do this, but we have Bibles in the back of the church on the back rack of, of Bibles there. Uh, I always encourage you, if you don't have a Bible with you, go and grab one with you, Crack it open, follow along, especially today, because I'll say the verses, and we're going to cover a kind of a good amount of Romans chapter 8, and I'll read them for you, but there's something about seeing them right in front of you. Um, so whether you have a Bible with you, which is awesome, uh, or you grab one on the, the back rack, or if you have your phone, I give you permission to be sitting there with your phone open, uh, and you can open up your Bible app and follow along, but really want to encourage you to see those words as we hear them because there's so much that Paul will show us in these words. And what we'll see this morning in the first half of Romans 8, we're going to cover pretty much verses 1 through 17, so actually even more than what we heard in our Scripture reading earlier in the service. But 1 through 17, we'll see a, a few things. We'll see where we stand with God, like what your relationship is and what your standing is before Him. Uh, you'll see uh, who lives in you, Maybe you didn't realize that, that you have someone living in you, but we'll see who is in us, who lives in us, and then we'll reflect upon some implications Paul has for us and think about our, our own lives of, of what does that mean for, for our everyday life now. So that's where we're going this morning. So first, where do we stand with God? Once you hear these verses in Romans 8, verses 1 and 2, it says this, there is therefore... Now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. To be honest, I could get up here and just say those words and say, amen, sermon done. Some of you are like, are you going to do that, Pastor Andy? I'm sorry, I'm not. <laughs> we got a little bit more time this morning, but but Paul is really saying this, do you want to know where you stand before God? You stand as one who is not condemned, who is set free in Jesus. 
I think about it uh, like this. Uh, there was a movie uh, regarded as one of the greatest movies ever made. came out a, a couple decades ago, Shawshank Redemption. Anybody fans of Shawshank? All right, we got a couple Shawshank fans. And, and there's, a, there's a moment in the movie where the, the main character, Andy Dufresne, who uh, is new to this prison, that's what Shawshank is. Shawshank is a prison, and it focuses upon his story and the story of the prisoners there. And he is kind of getting shown around the prison by one of the other inmates, by Morgan Freeman, his character. And uh, as they're kind of talking and getting to know one another, Morgan Freeman says, so what'd you do to get in here? And Andy Dufresne's character, Andy Dufresne said, well, he's like, I, uh, I was charged with murder, uh, but I didn't do it. And Morgan Freeman says, you'll fit right in. See, everybody here at Shawshank, we're all innocent here. And it's kind of a funny moment because, like, at least in his mind and for many of those people, they're saying to themselves, I was set up, I didn't do it, I'm not guilty, and yet their lived experience, yet the reality that they're in is where are they? They are condemned. They were found guilty, and that's their situation. And, and it kind of harks to, or at least for me, it reminds me of this truth that all of us, whether we realize it or not, we want to we be a place in our life where we know where, where we stand, where we live, is where we can say to ourselves, I, I am not under condemnation. I am not under guilt. I am not under shame. I am not under a judgment. And we want to be in that place. We want to live in that place and Paul wants you to know this, that you are in that place, that right now you stand in freedom and mercy under God, that God looks at you and you are not condemned. Who, who condemns you? Like what voices bring their accusation and condemnation to you. The Scriptures kind of talk about three main ones that we all experience. One of them is kind of the obvious culprit. It's Satan. Uh, that's actually the Hebrew for Satan is accuser, and what he loves to do is he loves to accuse you. He loves to condemn you. He loves to throw your sin in front of you and say, look at you. And sometimes Satan makes stuff up. He is the father of lies after all. But listen, he's not dumb Sometimes he's right, and he looks at you and says, look at what you did. Look at what you keep doing. You're condemned. You're guilty, and he throws it in your face, and we sit under that, and we hear that. The Scripture also says that, that there's the voice of kind of the world or people and even our own voice, and, and maybe you've experienced it with other people condemn you. People you know, they condemn you. They point their word of accusation, their word of condemnation before for you. And sometimes they're not right, uh, but sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes they're right. And you have done things against them to hurt them, and they condemn you. They, they say, you are guilty of this. Or you think about it yourself, and you realize, man, in my own heart, I know uh, that I don't measure up, that I, I failed, and I, I struggle. And sometimes we, we beat ourselves up unnecessarily, but sometimes we're right, and we're like, no, we should feel the weight of that. We have all these voices around us and in us talking about this condemnation, and yet in comes the voice of God. 
in comes the voice of Jesus. And what does he say? You are not condemned. You may condemn yourself. Other people may condemn you. Satan may say you are guilty. But you know who doesn't? Me. The voice of Jesus says, you are not guilty. And, and you may ask, like, how do, how do I know that, though? How can I believe what you're saying, Pastor Andy? And, and Paul, Paul kind of anticipates that, and he be, continues in verses 3 to 4, kind of say, like, this is how you can know that you stand before God right now, and He does not condemn you. Verse 3, Paul continues, he says, for God has done what the law, what we know we should do, what God tells us to do. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his son in our likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, God condemned sin in the flesh of Jesus in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk according not to the flesh, but according to to the Spirit. Here's the incredible thing Paul is saying. Paul is saying, here's how you can know that you stand free, not guilty, under no condemnation in Jesus. It's because Jesus came, and, and there was this incredible exchange where Jesus said, I will, I will enter in and face your death that you deserve. Jesus says, I will take the punishment that you know you deserve, but Jesus says, I'll take it on myself. And now you, through faith in me, who believe in me, who trust my word of forgiveness, you now get treated like you lived my life. How good of a life did Jesus live? Perfect. Sinless. 100% completion. And Jesus says, that is now your life. And so now you can know, because Jesus lived for me and died for me, and rose for me, I know I can, I can stand before God and say, I am not condemned because Jesus, He's taken it for me. You know, it reminds me of Good Friday. Obviously, the cross is where that exchange happened, but did you know it happened a little bit before the cross as well, at least in part? Jesus standing before a whole crowd of His people Jewish people and Roman people, and they're shouting at him, and he's in chains. He's getting accused. He's getting condemned. And here's the thing. Was Jesus guilty of anything? No. He was completely innocent. And Pilate, the ruling governor of that area, he says, listen, I'll make a deal with all you people. You have Jesus, who you think is guilty, and then you have this man named Barabbas, who we know is guilty. You saw him kill people. You saw him lead an insurrection. You saw basically this guy's a terrorist, not a nice guy. Which one do you want to be set free? And what does the crowd say? Barabbas. And what does Jesus get treated as? A guilty criminal. And that moment is a picture of us. We are like Barabbas. We are guilty of our own work. We know we are, are due God's justice and judgment, and yet Jesus comes and says, I will take it. And you and me, like Barabbas, what do we get to do? We get to walk free. No condemnation. That is yours. Where do you stand with God? You stand free. 
and forgiven and not condemned. But it gets better. Paul keeps going, and he starts to think about not just where we stand with God, but he changes the metaphor, and he begins to think about who is in us, who lives within us. So picking up at verse 5, Paul begins to use kind of residential language. I want you to listen to these words in verses 5 through 11. He says that, that for those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds to the things of the Spirit, the things of God. For to set the mind on the flesh leads to death, but to set the mind on the Spirit leads to life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it doesn't submit to God's law, because it cannot. But though, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And now he says, you, however, you who are, are free, not condemned, you are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit of God dwells within you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells within you, there's that word, dwells in you, He who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells within you. If you haven't noticed, Paul wants you to hear this word multiple times. The Spirit, what within you? He dwells within you. The Spirit of God lives in you. Like, Paul wants you to think of yourself like a house. What happens if nobody lives in a house? If the house is there, but nobody lives in it, what happens to it? Eventually, given enough time, it just deteriorates, right? Like, it just crumbles, nobody's taking care of it, nobody's maintaining it, and it, it becomes just all kinds of, of dysfunctional, because nobody's living within it. And Paul wants you to know this, that you, the body of your house, you are not vacant, but you have someone living within you, the Spirit of God, His Holy Spirit that had the power to raise even Jesus from the dead, He is living in you. He is the one working in you. To kind of keep with the house metaphor, maybe some of you have seen the shows with kind of like home renovation, home makeover type shows, right? Where you take a house that maybe isn't looking that good, and you have someone come in and is like, hey, we're going to make this thing the house of your dreams. <laughs> and they come in, and, and over the course of 30 minutes, right, or an hour-long show, you know, however long they take, they go and boom, <laughs> they transform it. They renovate it. They make it new. They make it better. Paul is saying, that's what the Spirit is doing in you right now that you not only stand free before God, you are not condemned, but His Spirit is living in you, leading you and changing you more and more into the image of Jesus. Do you believe that? Amen. I got one with me. <laughs> you have the Spirit of God in you, transforming you, changing you. It began at your baptism if you can remember that. Maybe some of you were baptized when you were older, and you can remember that. Maybe some of you were baptized when you were a little, little baby, and you're like, I don't remember it at all, but you were baptized. And you know what happened? The Spirit said, I'm setting up shop here. 
I'm taking residence here, and I'm living in you. And ever since then, He's been working on you. He's been changing you. He's been transforming you more and more into the image of God's Son, Jesus Christ. He's been putting to death the things that need to die. He's been raising to life the things that God wants to bring to life. He's been doing that in you all along, and He will continue to do it. So here's the question I want you to think about if this is true, that God's Spirit is in you, changing you. Where are you, like, refusing His changing? Where in your life are you kind of putting a holy stiff arm to the Spirit of God and saying, no, I don't want to change that bathroom, Holy Spirit. I want to keep it as it is. No, I want to keep my floor plan just like it is. I'm comfortable like this, thank you very much, Holy Spirit. Where in your life are you doing that? Because the question isn't if you are, because I know myself and I know you. We all have areas of our life where we say, I'm good. I will keep it like this. I will keep these priorities. I will keep these habits. I will keep these decisions, I will keep this way of treating people, and I will keep it there. Thank you very much. And we put a holy stiff arm and we say, nope, you can take care of that part, but I got this covered. Where is that for you? And the invitation is you to put that to death. That's what Paul is inviting us to, is that we would let the Spirit kill that part of us, to put that to death because he's in the resurrection business, and he will raise that up in you to something far better and something that looks like Jesus. Uh, C.S. Lewis, the great Christian author, he writes in his book, Mere Christianity, he kind of picks up this metaphor of a house, and he says, listen, when you become a Christian, God takes up residence in your house, and at first, you love what he does to the place, because it all makes sense. You're like, yeah, I know I needed to change the blinds. I know I needed to kind of like change the paint. And God as the architect, God as the transforming spirit, he's doing all the things you expect him to do. And you're good with it. But then all of a sudden, he brings like one of those big hammers or one of the big like, you know, things that you knock down walls with, and he starts knocking down walls. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you doing? (laughs) And C.S. Lewis is like, we We have such a small mind of what God wants to do in us. But He has plans not to keep us as this little cottage, but to make us a mansion for Him to live in, for Him to to reside in. And He will transform us in greater ways than we can imagine. Where are you refusing to let Him change you? And the invitation is to put that to death so He can raise it to life because the Spirit lives in you. So, what does Paul want us to to reflect upon then? What's the implications that we stand before God and we are not condemned? You, right now, know that you are free before Him. You are not guilty. You are forgiven. You also have His Spirit at work in you, guiding you, leading you, killing the things that need to die in you. What is kind of the implication? What's the kind of next step to do Paul really wants you to reflect upon this truth then. If that's true, that you are not guilty and His Spirit is in you, he wants you to remember who that makes you then. It makes you His child. And that's really, when we heard our Scripture reading from verses 12 through 17, that's really Paul understanding you are His child. 
And that means a whole boatload of things. Among them is this, that because you're his child, it means this, that you are chosen by God. You know, Paul picks up that adoption language in this section of Romans. He says, you've been, you've been adopted by the Spirit of, of God to be in his family. It means this, God chose you. You are not an orphan. You are not on your own, but God chose you. And, and just think about you for a second. Like, are you all that impressive? No, I, you guys are great people, but we're not that impressive. Can we show God our resume and have him be like, wow, I need you on my team. I need you a part of my business plan. No, our resume is garbage. And yet God comes to you and says, I choose you. I bring you into my family. Even though you have nothing to bring but weakness, and I got to come in and knock down a bunch of walls, and it's going to be a whole lot of work for me to change you, but I do it because I love you. Because you're his child. He chose you. It also means this, that you have access to God, because what do children have with their parents? They have access to them. You know, I think about that um, earlier this week when I began to see uh, this picture. If you want to go to the next slide, do we got? Yep. I saw this picture making the rounds on the internet. Um, If you can make it out, anybody know who this is? I had one person in the other service. No, I know it might be hard to see. You look at it, you're like, this is just a guy getting his groceries, right? What if I told you that that man standing there, his name is Lionel Messi. He's regarded as one of the greatest soccer players to ever live on the planet. There are billions of people, billions, who know his name, who would flock to him for his signature. This was at a Publix grocery store in Miami, Florida, just a couple days ago. He's just getting his lucky charms and food for his kids, just like you and me. And, and it took the internet by storm. They were like, this is astounding. This is amazing. He's just there. And they weren't astounded at the fact that he eats food, right? They were like, he's just in the middle of the crowd. He's just doing what we do. And there's no bodyguards, there's no red carpet, there's, no, there's nothing like blocking off access to him, and it surprised everybody, because he's a really important person, and really important people, we don't have access to them, do we? If you try and talk to them, they have a bodyguard that stands in between them. <laughs> but they were shocked, they were like, wow, I can just go up and talk to him. And everybody was surprised. You know what would not surprise me is if today, after church, got in my car and I drove to my parents' house. They don't live anywhere nearby. And I just drove and just showed up at their door tonight and was like, hey, can me and like my two small children and my wife, can we just crash here? Just, un, just unsolicited, just show up and surprise them. You know what would not surprise me is if they said, absolutely. Yes, come in. And I would not be surprised. I, I tell you these two things because sometimes we think that our relationship with God is like, like us and Lionel Messi. We can never get close to him. 
And yet, God says, you are what? You're His child. And what do children get to do to their parents? You get to call them at 3 a.m. when you're freaked out, even when you're into your older age, and you can still call them at any moment. You could show up unprompted to their house and expect and know they're going to welcome me in, they're going to take care of me and their grandkids. You aren't surprised by that. And God says, that, that is what you get to do with me. I will never turn you away. You have access to me at all times. You are His child. You are not off limits from Him. Paul wants you to reflect upon these truths, to remember that, that He chose you, that you have access to Him with the end goal as you reflect upon that reality, to realize this, to circle back to the very first thing Paul said, that you are free. And that's really what Paul wants you to reflect upon, and that's really the implication, is that when you think about where you stand with God and who lives in you and what, what you are to God, that you are His child, you know what that means above all else? It means that you are free, that you are free, and He wants you to live in that freedom. Now, I say that, and, and we're Americans, so here's what we think about. We think about freedom in terms of, I'm free, so I get to do what I want. But here's the thing, the Scriptures talk all about this, that when we're set free, it's not just set free from, but we are set free for certain things. We're set free for not having to worry about ourselves, because who's taking care of you? God is. Your Father is. He's taking care of you. He will always do that, now and forever. And so you know what that sets you free to do? To take care of others. To look at your family and say, what do they need and how can I meet that need and take care of them? You can look at your neighbors, even the ones you don't like, and you can say, what do they need and how can I give that to them? You can look at your coworkers, even the ones you don't like. What do they need? What can I do for them to meet their needs? You can look at every person that God has placed you around, and you can say, I don't need to live for myself. I can live for them. I'm set free because God's taking care of me. I'm His child. He loves me. He chose me. He's with me. He's forgiven me, so now I can take care of them. And that's really the invitation, is that you, you would use your freedom that you have as a child of God to serve others. Or as Martin Luther puts it, oh, went the wrong way on my clicker. Martin Luther puts it this way. He says that a Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to no one. You answer to no one because Christ has set you free. You are under no condemnation and at the same time, a Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. And Martin Luther says, this is the life of a Christian. You're free, and we use our freedom to serve, to put the needs of others ahead of our own because God has taken care of us. May you live in that freedom and show people who your Father is. Amen.